Welcome back, beautiful people, to the second hour of Love, Babs, Love Talk on Babs, Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted, as I told you in the first hour, John Mills is here to talk about the 29th Colored Regiment. Hey, Mr. Mills, how you doing? Unmute yourself. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Hopefully you can hear me. You got me? Yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay. I got you. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me I, or having me on. I do appreciate getting the, getting the word out about the 29th. Oh, I, I'm I'm so excited! You know, I've I've been to the uh, Criscolo Park. I've seen the the monument, right? And uh, and I've been there for um uh for like uh uh memory remembrances and and events that have happened there to remember the 29th Regiment. It's a beautiful right. statue. Uh, you know, oh, monument. Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. You know, they that's where they train. They used to be. Uh, called Grapevine Point there, and so that's where well they that's where they prepared, that's where they were reared up before they headed off. So yeah, where they put that monument, I think was appropriate, and what they what they displayed and built, yeah, it's real nice. Yes. All right. So so what's your relationship to this? Like it's, this is not just a passing hobby. This is your some of your family story. Well, you know, well my um, I have a nonprofit. It's called uh, Alex Brand Corporation. It's named after my youngest daughter. Um, and the intent of it is to find stories of the enslaved and or those in history of color who, you know, they may may or may not have been, you know, created some conquest. They may or may not have been the Martin Luther Kings or the or the Rosa Parks, but they have a story of endurance. Right. And, and, and so my nonprofit finds those stories. And after we find those stories, we try to, like, inject those people, their names, their images into those communities where they lived, worked, died, right, change street names, create murals. And as a part of that, I, I give lectures about those people. So, you know, my, my history, um, I, I've been a genealogist for many, many years and, and dug into my own genealogy and found the roots to enslavement and walked through woods where my ancestors were or over parking oh. lots where they were buried underneath. You know, I, I've been through that whole journey over the last 30 years. So it, for me, those people, no one knows them, but they mattered to me because I wouldn't be here if they didn't endure. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's why that's what I do now. I try to find those people and highlight what they did. So tell me about the 29th Regiment. So this is a this is a colored regiment. I mean, that's the right. word that they used back in the day. And, right. and these were the folks that fought in the in the Civil War. Right. Right. Yeah. So, well, at the time, Connecticut, um, it was it was illegal prior to th this point in time for a, a person of color to join a state militia. Um, and so they they just were not um, uh, legally a part of the, they were a part of the Civil War, but not legally as a part of the army. And so uh, in uh, in 1862, things weren't going so great. And um, uh, President Lincoln passed the Militia Act that said, OK, OK, we're going to let people of color, you know, fight. They can't be paid as much, but they can fight. And right at that point, states started creating colored militias right and uh connecticut didn't do that right away they took them a little over a year and a half but in late 1863 connecticut was you know their quota wasn't being met uh, lincoln's quota for us was like 7700 men we had given them like 2300 and so they were like well if you don't give us the other 5400 we're going to double that by january 1st or january 5th of 1864 so connecticut had to find a way to solve for that so the way they solved for it was well they said we can create colored militias now, so let's create a colored militia. And then now you have the 29th. And and so so these 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 men, uh, these black men that served in the in the 
in the 29th uh, Regiment. They weren't from Connecticut. They came from all points, didn't they? Well, when yeah, you got have, out? Oh, man. Well, and, and absolutely. Because, you know, at, at the time, the, the African-American, well, well, they weren't considered citizens at the time, so they were people of African descent. But they wanted to prove, you know, we're just as, you know, human as you are. And so a lot of um, people of African descent across the country were just looking for states or locations that would accept them to fight for this cause, right? So when Connecticut raised the 29th, if the, the regiment in their state of color was full, they came to Connecticut, right? And so you see a lot of people coming from other states coming to New Haven to say, hey, I'll sign up. I want to be a part of it. So yeah, they were from a lot of different places. Wow. And so what was on the table to, I mean, I, I, I imagine that the, the biggest draw was we are men and we, right. and we want to fight and we want to show you that we are equal to, right? Right, we, right. We, wanna, we, we are here. Um, but, but then there was some pay discrepancy. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, the, that 1862 Militia Act, right off the bat, right within it says, okay, you, you can pay them. $10 a month, uh, and you can take $3 out of that for their clothing, so making it $7 a month. That's right in the act. And um, for white Americans at the time, lowest ranking of a private, that, that pay was $13 a month, and they didn't charge them out of that for the clothing. So it's like half the pay, right? And so there was that discrepancy. And then also, um, there was a bounty or a bonus for you enlisting. Right. And so if you were if you were a, a, a white person, there was the, the, the federal government gave you like some three hundred and two dollars plus another 60. Uh, and there were other incentives to enlist. Whereas if you were of African descent, the, the, the federal government gave you nothing. But the state gave you a bounty of which white Americans got as well, which is another three hundred dollars. So, yeah, there was like half the, the incentive. To, to enlist. But I think, again, I think the people of African descent were just like, look, like we we about to do something about this whole slavery thing. And we're going to prove that we shouldn't be, you know, considered this way. We're human. And so they just had a whole nother, you know, mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can imagine. So. All right. So how long did the how long did the 29th Regiment last? I mean, I, I saw the film Glory, right? I saw. Yeah. Yeah. I saw right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You know, I saw it too. So I don't, I don't, I don't blame you. I know. Well, yeah, I mean, it went into 1865, but, but I mean, the pri the primary battles were um, around Richmond, Virginia um, it, it, from August to early uh, August of 1864 through early 1865 and uh, where they were engaged and they were actually losing men. They, you know, it was, um, and and they were proving themselves, right? And so, um, yeah, it was it for for me, kind of just reading the story, understanding who they were, and understanding what they were up against. I think um, it's something that you don't hear much. I don't think they really teach about it in the school system. I think a narrative around um, um, how they were reared and what it meant, I, I don't I don't think has been presented as accurately as it probably could be. And um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to throw that out there and make sure that everybody kind of knows what what that is. So 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 give me some examples of, of some personal stories that, you know, like who did you who did you find amongst this 29th Regiment? Oh, my goodness. A couple people, well, a few people. I, I came to the 29th because I was actually 
researching another individual in Waterbury, I'm sorry, in Weathersfield. And his name was Prince Mortimer. He had been enslaved all his life. And I think I like know eight... the Prince Mortimer story. I think. I yeah. think I know it. Yeah, he had been enslaved in Middletown. And then he was like 87 years old, been enslaved all his life, making ropes. And uh, he finally, to shorten the story, accused of attempting to poison his enslaver after he was being freed. And then he sent to prison at 87 years old. And he spends the next you know, nearly 30, 30 years or so in prison. And he dies in 1834 at 110 years old in prison. So I was like, I was actually doing work. On wow. That story, right. <laughs> and, and he was buried at uh, what at the time was Weathersfield prison, which today is the department of motor vehicles in Weathersfield. And he was buried supposedly in the prison cemetery, which was right next door today is a park called Cove park. So I was actually doing research on him. And while I was doing that, uh, um, a historian in in the water in uh, Weathersfield um, told me he was like John. You know, there's another guy that's supposedly buried here, and his name was Nicholas Monroe, and he was in the Civil War. And I was like, what? And so I start digging digging into Nicholas Monroe and find out he was from Maryland, and he came all the way here to join the 29th. And when he wow. got here, it turns out that the 29th was full, so they put him in the 30th. Connecticut now was creating a 30th colored regiment. And so they put him. Wow. In oh, now that that's, I did not know. Right. Yeah. So that's how I got to the 29th. So then I was like, I got to know more about this guy. I go down to the state library. I'm trying to learn about Nicholas Monroe. I'm not finding much. And um, a guy named Kevin Johnson at the state library, he's like, John, have, have you checked out the uh, Civil War monument in New Haven? See if his name's on that monument. I said, no. So I drove down to New Haven. I'm looking at the monument. <laughs> I don't see his name. At the time, I wasn't like piecing together that the monument was like 29th specific and I don't know if the 30th was there or not. I wasn't really piecing that together, but it took me on a journey to go, okay, who are we recognizing? Who are these people? What is this about? What are the details of the 29th? And that kind of started the whole ball rolling. Okay. Because uh, we because there's some dedicated people who are descendants of the 29th here in New Haven. Oh, yeah. And and they were instrumental in getting this monument um, um, raised, you know, right. uh, money raised the money and get it up and um, um, and 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 had some events around it. Uh, so, how many men served in the twenty nine? Well, you know that's the thing, right? I I, I find some seventeen hundred or so enlisted that wow. span the twenty ninth and the thirtieth, right? Um, but you know, the 29th was supposed to be only raised to have a thousand men. And I think they ended up going over. It was, they ended up having nearly 1300 men in the 29th and then the overflow went into the 30th. Um, but, you know, the, some of the records, you know, are, 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 are sketchy. You're not sure. So it may be more than that 1300, but what we know is, is the 1300 men. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, um, that's, that piece right there is one that I'm really digging into because I'm, again, I'm trying to figure out who who served? Who's on the monument? And how do we recognize these people in general, considering the time they were fighting in, the challenges not only of the country but of the state at the time? Um, and, and I mean, they didn't necessarily want to raise a colored regiment; they were kind of pushed into a corner. And, mm -hmm. and then what these these men kind of experienced, right? I'm tr I want to make sure that if you understand the full context, like I see these people as huge heroes. Like we, I mean, we gotta, we gotta do something about how we recognize them. And I, I mean, not only the fact that they enlisted, 
um, they were being threatened before they even enlisted, right? The, oh, the, the, I'm sure. The, I mean, oh man, you know, yeah, we're Confederacy. talking the Civil War, so right. I mean, slavery was still in full swing in places, right. and that's right. Oh yeah, they didn't oh, want yeah. those black men uh -uh. fighting. Oh no, the Confederacy are put. You know, they they immediately were like, "Listen, you guys going to put black men in, into the fight? Well, if we capture them, it, it ain't going to no rules of war, you know." There's going to be a problem if we catch them, right? I mean, so they had that fear. Like, it's not like you're just going to be like some hostage, you know, and be, be returned with an exchange. You know, you might be killed if you're black and you're caught by the Confederacy. So they had to deal with, you know, that concern. And then when the 29th left New Haven, um, they they boarded a ship and, and went right to uh, Maryland. And when they're in Maryland, Maryland was a border state. So they even though they didn't secede from the union, they still had enslaved people. And they talk about how the enslavers and the enslaved people, when they got there, did not treat them well. Right. So, I mean, you know, you, the full context of it is like, you know, what they experienced, I think, deserves like a great, a more granular look. And I think a much more, you know, uh, larger kind of a um, celebration of who they were and what they did. So I imagine you've made your way to the Beinecke over at Yale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Beinecke a bunch of times. Yeah, because they got they got all kinds of stuff in that place. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh yeah, that's an impressive place. Yeah, they check you too. You can't just walk up in there. <laughs> no, you got you got to make sure you ain't bringing nothing in there. You ain't taking nothing out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I say that to say because I, you know, um, you know, Mike Moran and uh, who who runs the uh, the. Uh, the, the Beinecke and uh and a, and a couple of researchers over there you know they've been working on um um uh digging up information on the first what could have been the first black HBCU in the country Ooh, you know yeah. um and and so they found all the you know all the documents of of you know what was gonna happen and what didn't happen and mm. how it was voted down and and so right. I, I'm always fascinated by the by these stories of of how we've endured and overcome because you know oftentimes our story is so not told in its totality you right. know it's just told from you know well we were slaves and that's it you know didn't right. talk about all our contributions while we were enslaved exactly and, and how we came here not at we weren't enslaved in africa we were africans who were kidnapped and brought here right and that's, that's, a, right. that's a different narrative right like that's a different way to tell the story absolutely and so some of the individuals that that I'll, I'll be talking about at my lecture at the new haven museum on thursday night some yes, of the people I'm, I'm talking excited about, about that. <laughs> yeah, some of the people I'm be talking about, you know, they they came from enslavement. Like they may not have been enslaved, but they were coming from states where either their one of their parents were enslaved, you know, or they were in an area where there was slavery. They just happened to be free, and so they witnessed, you know, this. They were like familiar. So by the time they got here and joined, they're telling those stories about you know, what it was all about. And, then, and also, like, another interesting aspect of this whole thing, like, you know, when when they're um, attempting to rear the 29th, right? I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was in the uh, Connecticut State House at the time. And so he's hearing about this idea of rearing the 29th. And he's like, that's a horrible thing. That's a horrible idea. Why would we do that? You're going to give black men guns? They're gonna I, turn I was waiting for that start, to come up. Right, right. <laughs> Are you crazy? They're going to turn and start shooting everybody, right? Like, <laughs> they, I mean, there was a fear, right? Yeah. But, and which still exists. 
right? Right. And and there's no examples of like there's no examples in history where we did that. I mean, oh, yes, there was you right. know insurrections and rebellions and all that other kind of stuff. But when people joined the military, they joined the military because right. they had a goal. They had a singular goal of proving that um, they were men. Right. That's right. And then to me, there was you can hear it. I got two narratives that I'm presenting at the lecture and you can hear it in how these people talk like their their whole thing is about like we're proving this for, you know, who uh, others of our kind and ourselves that look, look, this narrative that's been painted for who we are is just not right. And we're here to prove prove that other than just, you know, being patriotic. It was broader. You know, it's a bigger mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what do you like best about finding out about these people? And when you find out something new, what happens? <laughs> what I like best about it? Well, you know, for me, I came up, I actually was raised in California. And in California, at the time, I, you know, in the 70s, the civil rights movement at the time, like there was a there was a lot going on with regards to the Panthers and the Us organization, a lot of that. My, my dad was like big into like, you know, your, you know, your features are good the way they are. Your skin color is right. You know, he was like hard and fast, like make sure that you're prideful of who you are and what you look like. Right. And um, but when I got a little bit older, I was in my 20s. I had my daughter. I was I realized I had biases against myself that I don't know where they came from. And the way my parents were, I don't know how that happened. Right. Mm. And so a lot of my research and a lot of the stuff I'm presenting with the intent to potentially and hopefully get those that are like me. They feel that they're not, that's not them, but they have these unconscious biases that are be behind their head somewhere that may be influencing or affecting the outside world. My intent is to hopefully get these people to self-interrogate and look in a mirror and do like self-reflection. So that's my intent when I'm, I'm actually telling these stories. I, I feel like, you know, telling these stories truthfully forces you to kind of consider what you've learned and then forces you to really kind of think about how that has impacted how you present to the world. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's it's always fascinating when I find the the things that kind of sh can help drive that direction for people. But um, they're not few and far between. You, I, it, they're easy to find, right? Um, if you're looking, and so mm -hmm. this well, is that's one what we're seeing. I mean. William Lansing, right, Mr. William Lansing. Um, um, there's a statue over over at the one of the colleges at Yale, um, done by the sister who did the Huey P. Newton statue oh, okay. up in Oakland. Um, yeah, um, Dana Dana King, I believe that's her name. Wonderful woman. Um, and then there's uh, uh, Mr. Grimes' story, which yeah, um, that wonderful book. You know, he had a I think it's like one of the first earliest published books of slavery narrative yeah. stories about his journey and Absolutely. Uh, how he how he got to Connecticut and how he you know bought his freedom and tried to buy the bought the freedom of his family and all of the kind of stuff you know Putin's Crandall and trying to educate little black girls and oh uh, yeah Connecticut so so Connecticut seems to be uh uh chock full of of where oh, uh, enslaved people um and every time. I, every time I go to a Juneteenth uh, event somewhere in the state, every part of the state has been touched by some some folks of in, of in, uh, uh, of enslaved Africans. Absolutely, I, I'm I'm a part of the Connecticut Freedom Trend. I'm on the committee now, and okay. so that's what that's what we we do, right? We're like bringing stories and then finding the locations where these people either lived, died, worked, and then we're 
we're actually installing um, the Connecticut Freedom Trail marker there so that, you know, and then there's the Connecticut Freedom Trail site where people then can go see where are all these locations and they can follow the trail to and if they want to learn more and, 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 you know, see those locations. And so, yeah, there's a, a whole bunch of, in Connecticut, yeah, there's a lot that just has not been told. You talk about the Prudence Crandall story. I mean, I, I know Connecticut has kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, embraced that story. For me, the big part of that story is Sarah Harris, the young black child that was like, look, I need to learn because I want to teach other young black kids. And we don't hear a whole lot about Sarah. Like we hear a lot about Prudence, but that started with Sarah. And mm -hmm. so, like, you know, there are things like that. Like, I want to dig into that. Let's, let's hear, let's learn about Sarah. What, you know, um, and, and similarly with um, uh, William Grimes story, like that's a that's a deep story there about how he escaped and what he was enduring in slavery and how he got here through New York. And, and what that meant and what was, what was going on with the African-Americans around him. And then the folks around him that may or may not have been helping him. Right. I mean, right. That, that's, a, that's a really deep story if you really dig into it. Um, right. And so that's I what I then do. I, I, I'm always struck by the fact that folks ran for freedom and then they had to keep running. Right. Like you always have to mm. keep, you know, and, I, and I'm also struck by how they found people like they would keep chasing after slaves you know, with right. no technology, right? Like the technology right. of the day was like some kind of hand-drawn poster, right? <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right. Well, they found William Grimes because I think he ran into somebody that knew him that you that used to live where he used to live at, but he took it back. I think it was something like that, how they found him. But yeah, I mean, in you know, the Fugitive Slave Act of the time allowed, made it legal for, if you left the South, you run away, the, the North had to give you back. Right. Like, yeah. Right. And and um, but that's another thing that kind of loops us back to this 29th story when 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 Lincoln, you know, uh, passed the um, uh, the militia act, he was and then subsequently um, the confiscation act. He, he was basically like, look, we, we ain't giving nobody back no more. And matter of fact, we're going to let them fight against you. Right. I mean, that was the big deal with that stuff. And, you know, so from that, you know, eventually perpetuated the 29th. Mm. That's a, that's a, that's a, uh, you know, because I, I, it, Lincoln was not a guy who was like, I'm for slavery. I'm for, I'm for black, freeing black people. No. I, I, I don't think he was that guy. I think he was no. like, I got to look around and see what's in the best interest of, of what needs to happen here. Uh, that's right. And I think having people like Frederick Douglass and, uh, Sojourner Truth and people like that in his and Harriet Tubman in his ear, like right. they had his ear, right? And right. Like, listen, you know. Oh, oh yeah. If you it, when you lay the story out and you see the events, like Lincoln was truly acting in the best interest of st a strategic move for winning the war. Yeah. So when he did things, it was like, oh, this is this is a tactical move that will get me to win. Oh, well, that didn't work as well as I thought. Okay, let's go to the Emancipation Proclamation threat and see if that worked. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's put the Emancipation Proclamation into law. I mean, it was like he was just he was just walking through the steps that were like strategic to get him through you know, to, mm -hmm. to, to the end. That's what. Yeah. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happened to to the 29th regiment? Like once the Civil War was done, what happened to these people? What happened to them? Do you know? Do you have any idea some of them, you know? Did they yeah. get retirement money? Like did they get benefits beyond, you know? 
Well, yeah. Well, in, in the middle of the war, uh, you know, right after the literally months after the 29th uh, broke camp and they're in South Carolina and and they tell them, OK, here's your seven dollars for the month. And, you know, they were like, what? I thought we were supposed to get $13, right? They were all upset. The 54th and the 55th in Massachusetts, they just refused altogether. They, everybody in their regiment said, we ain't taking that $7. That's ridiculous. And so um, in June of 64, the U.S. government was like, you know, uh, we, we, we need them. So let's pay them like white men, right? And so that corrected that pay equity. But, and, and, and after the war, from a pension perspective, they were able. They were able to do that as well. So um, after the war, yeah, folks were able to, to apply for their pensions, and and that all worked well. And I'll, and the people that I have traced, you know, they have different outcomes because you know Connecticut, you know, for me the issue was bias and and racism. Um, you know, slavery was just an uh, effect of that that would allow you to think you could do that. Right. And in Connecticut, yeah. <laughs> right, in Connecticut didn't get rid of that basis. They just the slavery it was just ended. Right. And so you see a lot of these people, you know, end up uh, the effects of them for it. For example, the, the, the Civil War ends and it's Civil War over and it's put up to the vote for the, the citizens of Connecticut. Should we let black men vote? They emphatically said no. They voted that down. Right. But in the South. All them black men were registered because it was a requirement for the southern states to rejoin the union. But here in Connecticut, they voted that down. They were like, we ain't letting them people vote. Right. So you where you where they were living here in this state, you know, the, the, you saw the effects when you walk through some of these people's lives. The, the, the guy that I started researching for this, Nicholas Monroe, yeah, he was buried underneath that that prison cemetery, but eventually dug up and sent to Yale for for dissection. So, I mean, wow. right? I mean, you, so you see like, you know, they're being treated in a way that you probably wouldn't see had they not been African-American. Mm. So do you do you ever have chance to talk to descendants of the 29th resident regi regiment? I, we have some there's a bunch of them here and I oh, know okay, yeah. some of them personally. But do you get a chance to talk to them and and do they tell um, do they tell you stories that they've heard through their family? Wow, you know, I would love to do that. I've only talked to one, and it, and it actually happened to be another individual that was um, uh, enlisted for the 29th, was pushed into the 30th, who's also not on that wall in New Haven. And so I've been talking with that individual, and we've been talking about their story and ways that we can figure out how to get that individual recognized. Um, so um, that's the most kind of conversation I've had with. I haven't actually had direct conversation with anyone else other than that individual. But I, I've, I've heard some of them are coming to the lecture on, on Thursday. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, my, I, you know, my my third grade grandfather was also a Civil War vet. And uh, his story is a wild one as well. So, you know, I, I kind of can empathize when I listen to these stories of the people going like my my loved one isn't represented. Right. Because I have the same scenario like my 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 descendant uh, should have been buried in Maryland in Loudoun Cemetery, which was a, at the time was one of the first um, military cemeteries that were established because so many people were being killed in the Civil War. But because he was African-American, he was buried across town in, in a cemetery, which was a Laurel Cemetery, which is an African-American cemetery. And that was paved over in 1957. Oh, my so God. Like, yeah, so Holy there are like 30,000 bodies under a parking lot 
there and my third great grandfather is one of them. Oh, right. Lord. So, I, so like I have, I have those stories. So when I listen to these descendants talking about, you know, I want to see how, where's my descendant? Like, how do I get them recognized? Like I can appreciate it. Right. Like I have that, that experience. Wow. But there seems to be a, a great deal of movement around um, uh, people finding bodies, you know, like, oh, mean, yeah. like, you know, the one in New York where they were doing some work and they were like, oh, wait, we hit some, hit some graves here. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then yeah, come to find yeah. out they were all African graves, right? Like it was a right. whole, you know, for miles oh, yeah. and miles and miles. I mean, it was like huge. <laughs> yep. And then they were like, well, what are we going to do here? And, you know, That's you right. can't, you got to have some some humanity and dignity around this kind of stuff. That's you know? right. I mean, the reconciliation of like what happened and how to make it right is 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 one that, you know, there's, there's two sides of it. Some people want to be like, oh, that's a little too dirty for me. You know, I I I I, I want to soften that. And then for me, I I want to I want to highlight that. I want to recognize I want to recognize how these people struggle because I I think if you if, if you lessen it, you you diminish what they accomplished by enduring. Like yeah. I want to highlight they endured. So we've got to tell the whole story so you know how what much they endured, right? How how much we should be celebrating them. Right. And so yeah. I just kind of see it from a different perspective. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to I, I don't think I'll make it talk, but I know that it's gonna be live streamed on Facebook. And right. so if it's there, then I can go back and watch it. That's right. Because um, right. I have another commitment, but I can go back and watch it because I, I I'm sorry that I'm gonna miss it. And but I'm so That's glad right. I got a chance to talk to you this morning. Oh, no doubt. So, I appreciate it. Thank you, you know. so much. Yeah, six o'clock Thursday, six PM. Now, do you have a book? Or are you working on a book? Or are you I'm working on a book, but it's not specifically about these stories. I mean, these stories will be referenced, but it's much more larger kind of uh, 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 progression of like like what got me to this place, starting okay. in the 70s and kind of leading to this place. How did I get my mind to a place to think in these terms, right? And okay. so some of these stories come up in it. So, 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 John, tell me, when you look out at the country and you see all these 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 states who are who are um, so anti-black history, which is an American history. Um, right. what, what does that do for someone like you who who is a historian and and spends your time in your life um excavating uh stories of black people? Like how do you what do you think about that when you when you're in these places and spaces where they are deliberately saying we don't we don't even want you to know these stories? Yeah, I feel like um, that is goes back to like, I think what we were talking about earlier, I think there's an unconsciousness of bias because of lack of education. I think there's a misunderstanding. I think, I think, I think ultimately, I think, I think that people haven't been taught appropriately. They don't have the appropriate context. Therefore, they can't tie the lines to the reverberating effects to today, right? They can't go, okay, there's a health gap and a wealth gap, you know, an education gap and all these things. Oh, here are all the lines that draw back to why that ha would be. I don't think they can make that connection because they haven't been given the right historical context <laughs> and they haven't been provided the right historical information. So for me, it just reminds me of that when I see that. It's like, okay, it just um, it it um, just enforces that. Yeah, I probably should be doing a genealogical dig into these things and presenting what I find a little better than it has been in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. That's all I kind of gather when I see those things. Okay. That's well. That's a very kind way of 
of uh, of sex. That's a very kind word. Like I'm trying very... to be right with it. You I know. know, I know. <laughs> I was like, that's a very thoughtful, kind thing to say. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All they, right. That's their hearts. They don't even know that. They... <laughs> you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to present it in my mind that there is it's not a good and evil thing. It's an informed and uninformed thing. Like I'm okay. trying to see it that way. Yeah, well, yeah. God bless you. I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that stance. I really do. I I I don't hold that, but uh thank you for for, for for giving me something else to contemplate and discern. I'll tell you. I'll tell you so. Well, good luck on your talk. I, I hope that it is well attended. I think it will. And and I'm and I, I hope that you meet some of the, the descendants of the 29th regiment because yeah. they are here in New Haven. And uh, and uh, and they worked long and hard to uh, get that monument up, and um, oh, yeah. and they, and they worked long and hard at uh, trying to keep the 29th alive in people's minds here in Connecticut. So, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to hope. I, I, I hopefully I get to meet as many as possible. Yeah, that that'll be awesome. I think so. So, well, thank you, John Mills. It was a pleasure. Come back and keep me informed of, you know, as Absolutely. you find out stuff. Come back. We can have, we can do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm game. Absolutely. We can talk about this more and more and more. I, I, right. I find it fascinating. I do. I find it quite fascinating and so necessary. So very right. necessary. So. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. You know, I just go on and on. So you have to stop me. But, but, right. you well, know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, and thank you to the New Haven Museum for uh, connecting us. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Take good care. Uh, you too. All right. I'll see you soon. All right, Harry Jones, we're out of here. I'll be back tomorrow and I'll be talking to somebody. Who, who am I talking to tomorrow? Let me, let me, let me, let me give you a little, let me give everybody a heads up. <clears throat> oh, I'm talking to Michael Fidel. The Adrift Project. Now, you're going to want to know about this. So tune in tomorrow. I'll see y'all.